0: Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, SoulCityChurch.com. All right, all right, Soul City Church. Good morning. Okay, that was all, that was all right. That was all right. But I'll give you another chance, just because you know God is a God of grace. So, Soul City Church. Good morning. That's more like it. That's more like it. Oh, it's really, really good to be in this incredibly full room with all of you. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, uh, my name is John. I am one of the pastors here. And before I really get into it, I just want to start uh, by saying thank you. Uh, thank you for being here uh, to worship together, to hopefully listen to God. And thank you for giving me a little bit of your time and attention over these next few moments. Uh, being one of the pastors here and having the opportunity to teach here, it is a privilege that I do not take lightly. And so I am incredibly grateful to be here with you all this morning. And... Uh, If you've been around for a little while, you know that it's been a minute since I last taught here on a Sunday. It's been a minute since I last gave a sermon in one of our gatherings. Pastor Jarrett has been trying to box me out for the last few months, but I have fought through, and I'm really glad to be back. But I want you to know that I've been doing what I can to stay sharp while I've been away. I've been reading a lot, I've been studying a lot, I've been praying a lot just to really keep myself Focused uh, for this return because for me, something that I'm learning, especially now that I've entered into my 30s, is I need to work a little bit harder than I used to to stay sharp. Uh, Anyone in this room who is experiencing the gift of aging adulthood uh, at any level knows this to be true that as you get older, you need to put in a little bit more work, you need to put in a little bit more intention. To, to perhaps, I don't know, stay fit or, I don't know, uh, stay, stay kind of mentally sharp or to, to stay informed in what's going on in our world. You need to put a little bit more intention to even, even things like forming and keeping strong friendships in your life. Like, like take, take physical health, for example. Listen, when I was 14 years old, I could eat whatever awful garbage I wanted. And I felt like it basically had no effect on me. I still had tons of energy. I was skinny as a rail. I mean, look at this kid. Look at him. There he is. (laughs) Now, this picture was not taken in 1972, like my haircut would suggest. But also you should know, there is not a lot of meat propping up those shoulder pads. That kid was skinny. But this guy survived almost exclusively on a diet of McDonald's Vanilla Coke and two chicken Kievs for dinner. That was the basic dinner for me. And then as I got older, and I kept generally the same diet, I learned very quickly that two chicken Kievs was probably too, too many. I realized I couldn't eat at McDonald's every day anymore. And so not soon after I entered into adulthood, I, I, I hired my first ever personal trainer. It was just after college. I was living in New York City at the time. I definitely could not afford it, but I knew I needed it. And so I hired a personal trainer named Mike. And the reason that I hired Mike was because Mike had a program. And Mike's program worked, at least according to his Instagram and his website testimonials. Mike's program worked. It helped people to get in the best shape of their lives. It helped people to lose weight. And I wanted Mike's program to work on me. So I hired Mike, and right at the beginning of our working relationship together, before we ever did a single workout, Mike sat me down for a little meeting, and he said to me, John, my program works, but there are some things that you are going to have to change about your habits and your lifestyle in order for my program to work on you. And so Mike started to walk me through how my schedule was going to have to change in order to accommodate more hours at the gym each week. And and how I was going to have to change some of my grocery shopping habits to make sure that I only had good, healthy food in my house for those late night temptation moments. And he went through all these changes I was going to have to make. And if I'm totally honest with you, I didn't really want to do any of that stuff. Like I just wanted Mike to give me six-pack abs and for some reason, I thought that that could happen without me having to do anything. I, I thought that I could change without changing, you know? I didn't understand that thing that anyone who has ever walked through any type of recovery journey knows, that nothing changes if nothing changes. I, I thought that I could do it without having to do anything, <laughs> But I realized that there were changes that I needed to make in order for Mike's program to change me. And the reason I tell you that story is because I just wonder if perhaps there are some of us in here who approach our lives with God in a similar way. Like, I wonder if some of us show up to God with similar expectations that I showed up to Mike with. that, that We want God to transform us. We, we want God to change us. We want God to do something powerful in our lives. Maybe it's, it's in our, our family, maybe it's in our career, maybe it's in our romantic life. We want God to work in our lives, and we want God to do all of the work. I think at some level, all of us want God to transform us. I don't think you would be here if you didn't want God to change some part of you, some aspect of your life, and yet for some reason, so often, we think that will require nothing from us. Now, I do want to make one distinction, and this is really, really important. God is ultimately the only one who can transform us. God is the only one who can actually make change happen. However, if you look throughout the scriptures, if you ask anyone who has ever experienced transformation in their life with Jesus, they will tell you that the change of God most often happens in partnership with the choices of a person. In other words, while you and I, we don't make the change happen, but you and I do have an active part to play in our own spiritual journey. And so the question that I want to challenge all of us to ask ourselves very humbly today is what do I need to change so God can change me? Like what work do I need to do in my life so that I can experience more of the work of God in my life. Now, again, God's gonna change what God's gonna change. God doesn't actually need you to do anything in order to transform your life. What this is about is how can you and I be an active participant in that? How do we actually partner with God in our own spiritual transformation? And today we're gonna look at that by looking at the example of some of the earliest followers of Jesus. And so if you would look under the seat in front of you or or on your armrest and grab a Bible, you can open it up to Acts chapter two in the Soul City Bible, that is on page 883. If you're worshiping with us online, welcome. Open up a, a tab or grab your own Bible, open it up to Acts chapter two. Acts two, for those of you who don't know, it's in the New Testament. It's gonna be in the latter half of your Bibles. And as you are turning there, you should know that this book of Acts that we're about to look at together, it takes place directly after the resurrection. And this section takes place after the ascension of Jesus, after Jesus has returned to the seat next to the Father. And the last thing that Jesus did before he ascended into heaven and left this earth was he sent out his followers to begin starting different communities of people that were committed to living out the way of Jesus in the world. And so the story of the book of Acts, it essentially tells the story of how these earliest followers of Jesus started some of those very first Christian churches. And what we're about to read is within those early churches, God started to do some pretty unbelievable, miraculous things. Let's start reading together in Acts chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent what? Sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the what? What? They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly what? Utterly amazed. They asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Then it gives this long list of all the different types of people who were there. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, the home of the pamphlet for those who are interested. (laughs) Egypt. And the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, all these different folks, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, one of my favorites. So let's break this down, shall we? Well, what's happening here? Essentially, these early followers of Jesus, they are having a church service, not unlike you and me. They're having a church service, and at that service, the Holy Spirit begins to do miraculous, unbelievable, unexplainable things. God begins to speak through people and to empower them, to encourage, and to minister to one another. And we read that that ministry, it's happening across language barriers. It's happening across cultural and racial and socioeconomic boundaries, everyone coming together to be ministered to and by one another. Essentially, it's one of those church services where things start to get a little wild. Some of you grew up in church traditions where pretty much every Sunday it got a little wild when the Holy Spirit started to move. And it was one of, it's one of those gatherings where things start to get so crazy, and if you're in the middle of it, like if you're experiencing all of it, you look around and you think, wow, look at what God is doing in this place. But if you walk in cold turkey and have no idea what's going on, you might think, what is wrong with these people? Are they drinking early on a Sunday morning? That's the question that's being asked here. But of course, that's not what's happening. What is happening is God is moving powerfully in their midst. And it doesn't stop there. If we continue to read on in chapter two, the rest of chapter two, it starts to describe this sermon that is given by one of the church leaders named Peter where at the end he invites folks to believe in and to follow Jesus. And on the other side of that sermon, look at verse 41, verse 41, it says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. We've had some pretty incredible baptism services here at Soul City Church, but we ain't never baptized 3,000 people before. The situation that is being described here in Acts chapter 2 has been referred to throughout church history very simply as Pentecost. This is one of, if not the most famous example of God's miraculous, transformative power working in the lives of his people. The story of Pentecost has been retold and taught and talked about for thousands of years. There's an entire section of the church calendar that is dedicated to Pentecost. Generations and generations of Christians have prayed for and believed for this type of powerful, transformative work of God to happen in their midst. This is a big deal. But do you know what we don't often talk about when we talk about Pentecost? Do you know the story that we don't often tell? The details that we often leave out are the verses that come at the end of Acts chapter 2. Look with me at verses 42 through 46. They, meaning the believers, they what? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were what? All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. What does it say next? Every day, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So follow me here for a second. We just walked through that first big chunk of Acts chapter 2. Verses 1 through 41 describe all that God was doing in the early church. And then, right at the end, in verses 42 through 46, it's described all that the people of God were doing in the midst of that. And what we see is that these early Christians, this ancient community of believers, they were committed to things like being in community with one another. They had a daily practice of both private and communal prayer. They were committed to things like studying and learning from the scriptures on a consistent basis. In other words, these early Christians, they were deeply committed to what we in our world today would refer to as spiritual practices. They were all about these daily, regular, consistent spiritual practices. And I don't think it's too much to suggest that their commitment to these practices had some kind of connection to their experience at Pentecost. Now, I'm not suggesting that the more practices that they did, the more God poured out his power. That's, it's not a transactional thing. What I'm saying is the early church's deep commitment to daily spiritual practice opened them up And made them more available when the power and presence of God began to move in their midst. It's not that their practices created or controlled the power of God. Their practices just made them more present. Their practices just put them in position to experience the power of God when God started to move. Does this make sense? I hope so. Because plot twist, the same is still true for you and me. What is still true for you and me today very simply, is that practice puts you in position. It's the simplest way I can put it. Practice puts you in position. Spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, whatever you want to call them, things like prayer and rest and serving and giving, these things are important to the Christian life, but they are not important because they make God move in your life. These practices are important because they put you in position to not miss God when God does start moving. That is what spiritual growth, most often, that's what transformation really looks like. Spiritual transformation happens when our practices meet with God's power. It's, I think it really is that simple often. Like, think about this when, when you show up for a weekly worship gathering, like you are right now, whether you realize it or not, you are doing a spiritual practice by being here today. This, hopefully, this is something you do on some kind of regular basis. But I also want you to know that merely showing up to church is not what transforms you. I mean, I hope you felt a little different, but I don't think anyone walked in here today and was like, whoa. (laughs) That's not how it works. What this practice does, though, is it consistently puts you in position for the Spirit of God to work in your life while you're here. The same thing is true with a practice of prayer. Prayer is not about you saying the exact right words in order to make God change your situation. Prayer is about positioning yourself in the presence of God and through that God begins to change you. This is actually true about any practice that you would talk about, whether it's a regular rhythm of studying scripture, whether it is a weekly Sabbath rest, whether it's meeting with your soul city group every single week, having an intentional meal with friends, whatever the spiritual practice, what this really comes down to is something that Pastor Jarrett often says. He says that spiritual growth is about you doing what only you can do and God doing what only God can do. Now, I have to tell you all a little secret. I told Jarrett that I was going to quote him this week, and and I, I texted him, and I said, hey, if I were to quote you in a message, you know, hypothetically, how would you like to be credited? How would you like me to credit you? Anything before your name, anything after your name? And this is what he sent back to me word for word. Big shout out to you Game of Thrones fans out there. That is your pastor. That that is your pastor. And I think think you already knew that. I think you already knew that. Sorry to isolate those of you who did not watch House of the Dragon. Uh, But but what is is this quote about? What, What is this about? This is about I do the practices, right? That's what only I can do. I commit to the spiritual rhythms and practices that only I can do And I believe that by doing those consistently, that puts me in position to experience God doing what only God can do. And what only God can do is transform me. Only God can change me. Only God can make me more loving. Only God can make you more kind, more generous, more just, more righteous, more good, all the things that God desires for you. Only God can make me more like Jesus and through me make the world look more like his kingdom. And that's what begins to happen when our practices meet with God's power. Transformation starts to happen. But here's the interesting thing about that little equation of our practices and God's power. We know that God is faithful to hold up God's end of the bargain. Like, we know. We just sang about same God, same God, same God. God is faithful to do God's part in this. The question is, the thing that we're still waiting on the verdict for is will you, will I, will you commit to these practices just like the people at Pentecost did that put you in position to be more open, to be more available when God begins to move in your life. Are you willing to make a change, to make more room for the possibility for God to change you? I actually think that this, this little thing, it is necessary for a life with Jesus. You being willing to make a change and show up consistently in your practices, it is necessary. I am learning this in this season right now. A lot of you know that the last year or so has been a a year of compounded transition for my family and I. Last summer, Aaron and I, we became parents for the first time with the birth of our daughter. Very, very exciting. And as well as at the beginning of this year, 2022, I underwent a bit of a a shift in my job here at the church from merely being one of your teaching pastors to now I also lead our creative team on staff, which basically means I kind of captain the ship for all of our Sunday worship gatherings. This was a significant increase in, in, in leadership and responsibility for me. And throughout and in the midst of all of that, for the last year, my family and I, we have been in a temporary housing situation while we get some work done on our house. For, for my, basically my daughter's entire life, we have been living about an hour and 15 minutes away from here with my in-laws while we get some work done on our house. And, and I don't share any of that with you so you'll feel bad for me in any way. Let's be clear. Those are all really great things, <laughs> Those are all awesome things. Aaron and I, we love being parents. We are so, so blessed to have a safe place to live, much less to buy a house of our own and do work on it. Are you kidding me? Like, that's incredible. I love the work that I get to do here. This is one of the greatest joys of my life. And I am in a very different season than I was 16 months ago. And earlier on in this transition, I found myself getting so frustrated. Because I was trying to take a lot of the practices that I was doing in the previous season and I was trying to put them in my present season and they just weren't working anymore because I didn't have as much time. My schedule looked different. My priorities looked different. And I got so frustrated that those old practices weren't working in this present season. And eventually that frustration grew into complacency for me. And that complacency kind of led me to drift to the point where I let go of many of the practices that so often would put me in this position we're talking about for transformation. And I went through a significantly dry season. And then a few months ago, I looked myself in the mirror, and I got real honest, and I said, John, you need to make a change. It's not that God changed. It's not that God stopped showing up in your life. It's not that God stopped working. It's that you stop putting yourself in position to experience the work of God that is always happening, that is always working. You are I am in a new season. but that doesn't mean that I don't recommit to new versions of these practices. If I want to continually be led in this transforming relationship with Jesus that we talk about all the time, there's work that I need to do. trusting and knowing and believing that God's going to do His part, when I put myself in position, when I make a change. I believe that God then ultimately will change me. And so I just wonder, I just wonder this morning, if you, where you're at, whatever season that might be in, I wonder if this morning you would be willing to commit yourself or maybe recommit yourself just to one consistent spiritual practice. Maybe for you, it's one that you used to do, but like me, you've kind of grown complacent and it's started to drift for you. Maybe today you recommit to that practice or maybe a new version for this new season. It could be as simple as committing to the practice of showing up to this weekly worship gathering every single week. Not just when it's convenient for your schedule. Not just when you had a rough week and you really feel like you need to be here but consistently putting yourself in position to experience the transformation of God while you're here. I know for some of us, actually, the struggle is not being here. It's it's encountering and experiencing God outside of here, in in your real life. Maybe for you, the, the practice you can commit to this week is a regular rhythm of prayer. And that can sound very intimidating for some of us, I can sound kind of boring for others of us. I'll share one practice that I have right now in this season. You can steal it if you want. Every single morning, I wake up and I start the day. While I brush my teeth, I say the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That prayer takes me 20 seconds. But I believe that that practice hopefully it positions my mind and my heart to experience more of God in my day to day. Maybe for you, it's it's actually in a lonely season, it's committing to the practice of fellowship and community. Community doesn't just happen, it is a practice that requires intention. Maybe it's inviting people over to your house to share an intentional meal, intentional conversation once a week. I don't know what the practice will be for you. I'm not sure what it will look like. But I do believe, I am confident that when you commit to this practice, God will be faithful to do his part. And for those of you who this whole idea of spiritual practice is brand new and you're like, John, I don't even know where to begin with that. If that's where you're at today, I would encourage you actually follow our social this week because each day we're gonna be posting about different spiritual practices and we're gonna be teaching how to engage in them in your life. So so if you're a little lost today, make sure you follow us. Make sure that you're you're keeping up there. But but as I was thinking about this kind of homework assignment, I think the most wise pastoral advice I could give to you on this, you ready for it? Try something. Like really, (laughs) try something. You haven't had a regular rhythm of prayer before? Try it. See what happens. And, and I, am, I am so confident that God will show up with you. But you wanna know why? Because God actually wants you to transform. God actually wants you to grow. God is your loving father. And so he wants his children to experience growth. God loves you. And because of God's great love for you, I am confident, Soul City, that when we commit to do our part, when we commit to these practices, when we commit to putting ourselves in position I am confident that the transformational power of God will begin to move in this church in ways that we couldn't even imagine. And so will you stand to your feet with me if you're able as we pray together toward that end? God, thank you so much that you are a God who even though you are able to do all things all on your own. You are a God who continually chooses to partner with us in everything, including our own transformation. I thank you for that, God, that you would invite us into that process of transformation. And God, I just pray right now for a spirit of willingness, a spirit of commitment, and a spirit of discipline over the people of Soul City, a spirit of experimentation, that we would try something. Would we be the type of people who don't just expect you to do all the work? Would we be the type of people who consistently put ourselves in position to open ourselves up and say, God, I'm available. God, would you change me? God, would you transform me? I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna believe that through that, God, that you're gonna grow me, that you're gonna change us, you're gonna transform us. I pray that as the people of Soul City commit to their practices, that they would encounter your powerful presence in ways they never have before. And that they would not only be changed, but everything around them would begin to change. God, we make room for you as we're about to sing. We commit to making room for you in our lives. Knowing and trusting that you will fill that space with your goodness. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.